welcome back to another episode of Read It or List It. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And in today's episode, we have a special author interview. Thanks to Random House and Berkeley Publishing, we were sent Darling Rose Gold by Stephanie Robel. Darling Rose Gold has been hailed as one of the most anticipated books of 2020 by Newsweek, Marie Claire, Bustle, Shondaland, Pop Sugar, Women's Day and Good Housekeeping, pretty much everywhere. It is Stephanie Robles' debut novel about Rose Gold and Patty Watts, a mother and daughter with a highly complicated relationship, including poison, prison, and revenge. Phoebe had the opportunity to speak with Stephanie from her home in London, and I'm so excited to hear what you guys talked about. Uh, Stephanie recently graduated with her MFA from Emerson College, where she wrote Darling Rose Gold as her thesis project. Um, And as someone who doesn't read thrillers, I was nervous about this one, but I found it to be um, really more of like a psych, more psychological rather than scary. Um, It is deeply disturbing, um, but Stephanie walked me through her process. So here is my conversation with Stephanie. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Of course. So I never really read thriller and suspense types of books. So I was definitely like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to go for this, but all right, let's try it. And I loved that it was, it was really like a digestible novel. Like I flew through it and I think less than 24 hours because the way that you wrote it, it was very much like, I have to keep reading. I have to keep reading. Um, Thank you. So, that's that's the best thing an author can hear. So I appreciate it. Oh. Um, so how long did it take you to write this book? So I wrote a first draft uh, the summer of 2017, and I ended up just completely throwing the whole thing away, except for the two main characters. Um, and it took me most of 2018, I would say, to write that second draft, which is what ended up becoming the book. And I actually wrote the book as my thesis for grad school. I went to an MFA program. And so at the it was at the end of the MFA program, um, end of last year. Well, I guess technically it's now a year and a half ago, but God, time is flying by so fast. <laughs> but yeah, about like a year and a half, I would say. Oh, that's great. You and Kylie Reed did that. Um, yeah, she, she has also, I mean, she has just had like a stratospheric rise. It's just amazing to see that book and how it's been doing. It's been on, like, it's at the very top of my to be read list. It's another one that I also flew through. So um, we're currently focusing on um, female writers and women in literature this month on the podcast. So we spoke about um, such a fun age as well. And it's been so wonderful to see all of these women rise, uh, especially to the top of like the New York Times bestseller list. And um, it's making us very, very happy and excited. And I um, was hesitant to read a lot of like thrillers and um, psychological thrillers and suspense novels, because I feel like it's a um, genre that tends to be dominated by men like the Stephen Kings and the James Pattersons. Um, So was this something that you felt called to write um, or how did the idea come to you? 
Sure. So the idea, I, I wouldn't say I was necessarily called to write to this genre specifically. I think the idea just lent itself well to the genre. Um, but what, I mean, what really drew me to it is my best friend is an elementary school psychologist, and she was the one who told me about Munchausen by proxy. Um, and so she told me about it. I was immediately fascinated and horrified. And I went and did all this research, and I was shocked to discover that the perpetrators are often women or mothers. And, you know, we think of the mother-child bond as sacred, but it's not in these cases. And I wanted to explore why that was. Yeah. It's, like, so chilling to think about because I think what I loved from the dual perspective of the narrative is that each woman was, like, their feelings were super valid. And in each chapter, you were kind of like, wait a second, like, I know what is wrong here. You should not be poisoning your child. (laughs) But she was, uh, Patty was very compelling. So like, I could see how she was able to manipulate. And, you know, we're, we're supposed to trust the people who are taking care of us, especially as children. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is, that's what drew me to her as a character as well. And it seemed, from my research at least, that seems to be true of people with Munchausen by proxy is, yes, they're doing horrible things, but at the same time, they're actually very charismatic and they can be very relatable and they're complex people just like the rest of us. And so I, I just thought like the ability to kind of fool everyone around you, especially people, you know, super qualified doctors, um, was just really intriguing to me to try and walk around in the head of someone in that mind frame. Yeah. Um, was it easier to write from one perspective than the other? Yeah, I found Patty a lot easier, which is maybe concerning, (laughs) but you know, she doesn't go through nearly as much character growth or change. She kind of has her story and she sticks to it. Um, Rose Gold was really a challenge because, you know, from where she starts to where she ends changes quite a bit. And in earlier drafts, you know, sometimes I would have her too innocent and naive too late in the story, or, you know, sometimes she like made a turn and just adjusted to the world too quickly. And so trying to find that right balance of, is this person who's been socially isolated their entire life and like doesn't really understand how the world works or simple things like pop culture references like you really had to strip back and just like keep re-examining who is she like take away all of sort of the stuff that I bring to the page as a as a human and just like focus solely on rose gold which was challenging yeah I found there is um a little bit of an overlap or and um in from Educated by Tara Westover, the idea of that social isolation and like not knowing pop culture references. Um, And I love comparing books, like fictional books to uh, memoirs and nonfiction, just because I think it's really interesting to see like what, how this could um, actually happen to someone in real life. And after just a few days of social isolation, I'm already like, (laughs) okay, I don't see it so bad. yeah, it's definitely, uh, it, it gives you appreciation, I think, for what these people go through, especially as children. And that's, Educated is an incredible memoir in another situation, or I guess another case where you're reading and you just want to kind of handcuff the parents, you know what I mean? Just kind of throttle them because they're just holding their children back so much. And I would say, well, I don't know how, I mean, I think Patty was Patty's was more intentional. I don't know how much you know, Tara's father and mother were, I mean, they obviously played a negative role, but um, it's definitely very intriguing to compare characters like that. Yeah. Um, 
so in the terms of you know you're expecting some like twists and turns and i know you wouldn't like you would never say that this is like a thriller it's definitely like it's very psychological and there's almost like not a genre that it could go into because i definitely felt that it was um i wasn't scared reading it the way that like but i knew that there were going to be details that would surprise me so did you feel that you really had to like plot this out to accommodate the twists or did you feel like you could sort of like let the characters guide you I'm definitely more of a plotter just because I'm a very organized and type a person in regular life so I find it a lot less stressful trying to write 90,000 words if I have some sort of blueprint so yes although there's not a ton of twists and turns I think just with the with the two timelines and the way things are revealed to have just like a one sentence summary of what's supposed to happen in each chapter was really helpful and it took the pressure off of what's going to happen next and lets me focus on the actual sentences. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned you got your MFA. Um, did you do you, do you think that was like uh, something that all aspiring writers should try to do, or um, was it like? something I uh, was reading in your bio that you just want you really were that it was time to take um, make your writing a priority um, so if you could just tell us a little bit about your MFA program and what you think you gained from it sure yeah sure so I don't think that every aspiring writer needs to uh, enroll in an MFA by any stretch I think it just goes back to what's best for you and what you're able to commit to. Again, for me, being a very structured thinker and doing well when I kind of have a plan set out, um, I knew something like a very concentrated two-year program would probably be my best bet versus kind of trying to plot along on my own. Before I joined the MFA program, I didn't know any published writers, so I also wasn't able to get very um qualified constructive feedback which i think is super important to improving as a writer so for me i mean obviously i ended up publishing a book after so i would highly recommend an mfa program um i just found that it was a two-year crash course that yes i probably could have made the progress on my own but i think it would have taken much much longer and the most important part was i met a professor who ended up becoming my thesis advisor and mentor and she really shepherded me every step of the way through the process she was there from chapter one till chapter 28 and you know without her i think this might still be languishing on you know a second draft or whatever but you know having that being able to get that feedback and have sort of a guide to help is just like any field is just so critical yeah i'm an actor and so i've been yeah. trying to decide if the mfa route is the right uh route for me but i think it's there's a few times in our lives when we have the privilege of just really focusing on our art forms and i mean i would absolutely love to do an mfa if i could get into the program that was right for me um and i have a friend who is doing her mfa at emerson writing um mm. but that is one of the i think it's, a, it's such a wonderful place I looked at it for my BFA um, and mm. so many people seem to come out of there just feeling so confident and I think that really speaks to their faculty 
Yes, their faculty is amazing. And I would also say it's such a privilege to be able to just take that time, like you said, and focus solely on the craft. I don't think I would have necessarily uh, been brave enough to do so if I had still been in my salaried jobs. Like at that point, I was between freelance jobs. And so I kind of felt like I had nothing to lose. And I think that was the only reason, honestly, that I just like allowed myself to take the time and, you know, see what came of it. Yeah, that can be hard for us type A's. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you yeah. feel like you need to be achieving constantly. And writing as a profession is obviously not the most uh, reliable source of income. So I, it was definitely a leap of faith. Um, and I for sure didn't know what was going to come of it. But, you know, my my goal, or I guess my my silver lining thinking was, well, at the very least, this thing that I've written will get me a graduate degree. So that's something. <laughs> And that is not an easy feat. So <laughs> very much to be celebrated. Um, when you were writing Darling Rose Gold, was there anything that you were like, did you imagine people reading it and like what they would think of it? Or was it very much like a like a personal project that you were just trying to get through for yourself? No, you know, I don't really think about readers while I'm writing. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I kind of just right towards what I'm really interested in, what's what's has my curiosity. And it feels almost like a puzzle that I'm trying to solve. So I wouldn't say the reader's sort of concerns of the reader and like making sure everything's clear and stuff comes in until later drafts, probably. Yeah, I think that's important that um, it's almost like you're, you're writing it for the right reasons if you're not thinking of what how people are going to react to it. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has their own way of doing things, but I guess I just try to write a story that I would want to read. And so I end up finding these topics that just sort of obsess me. And then I can just go in this down this super deep dive of research. And usually there's, well, so far, I mean, I'm only working on my second book, but so far there have always been other people who are always interested in these topics too. So, well, speaking of your second book, is there anything you can tell us about it? Oh, sure. So it's another suspense novel. Um, it's about a wellness center that has some cult-like tendencies. Ooh. Um, yeah, that's usually the reaction I get. That's what I mean when I'm like, it seems like people are universally fascinated by cults, which I really appreciate as a fellow uh, lover of them. Um, but it's told from three points of view from the leader, a member, and the member sister who is trying to pull her out of it. Wow. Well, that's exciting. I think I'm definitely... Um fascinated by all of that I never really let myself give in to it because I think I will like I'll just become so like I'm right now I can't stop like looking up anything <laughs> about like I watched Contagion the other night <laughs> Outbreak the other night so I'm like oh geez I um probably shouldn't go down these rabbit holes but um that's and it's, so it's another multiple perspective um that's I, I I always worry that if I ever tried to write a book, I could not um, write from multiple perspectives because I just feel like my voice is so strong that all the characters would sound the same. Um, so how do you uh, sort of differentiate the characters' voices? That's a great question, and I'm really struggling with with it on the second book. I didn't struggle with it at all on Rose Gold. Um, maybe because the characters are coming from such different places, you know, someone with social isolation and who's like 
still a child uh, mentally to some extent versus this sort of brassy woman. Like I, I, I didn't have any trouble differentiating those, but with this book, because two of the, two of the three POV characters are sisters uh, who are only three years apart in age. I've really struggled with their voices being different because I look at my own sister and I, one of my sisters is 14 months younger than me and you can mistake us for each other on the phone. You know, we have mm-hmm. a lot of the same, just, you know, our responses to things would be the same, the same inflections, whatever. And so I've been trying to really focus on the advice of my editor, which is golden, which is focus more on their, I guess, their belief systems and their frame of mind. Like one of them is more of an optimist. One is a pessimist. One like is really searching for meaning. One is very much like we need to do the, you know, the tried and true route, like get that to that paycheck every two weeks, save 10%, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. I've been trying to focus more just on how they're different as people, but it's definitely been a struggle on this book. Yeah. I just think it's so difficult um, because it's something I think we take for granted as readers, uh, especially like if there's one, I know when I read a multiple, multiple perspective novel, I, there's always one character that is like my anchor. It's like the voice that I feel like resonates the most. So when I get to their chapter, I, um, I feel like, oh, okay, here we go. Like I'm, I'm back home now. Um, so I can't imagine like the pressure it feels to write that. Um, but I definitely felt like in, in Rose Gold, like there wasn't like, I didn't, um, I think this lends itself to the the suspense element of it. I didn't feel that way. I every chapter I was just like, I don't care who's telling me the story. I just need to know what happens. <laughs> well, I think in that, I think in Rose Gold, and I'm I'm not a, a reader of it really, so I can't say for sure. But I would guess like neither of them is really for the most part relatable or sympathetic. So it's kind of like you're you're reading to like find out what happens. It's not necessarily a lot of books, like one of the perspectives will kind of like stand in for the reader, you know, with the mm-hmm. second book, like the person who's outside the cult is like the rest of us who's she's trying to understand. She's trying to do the right thing, whatever. Um, but yeah, when you don't have that and both of the characters are just kind of like out of their minds, you're just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, what has been like the most exciting aspect of having your novel out in the world? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think just, I mean, it's really cool. Well, I haven't gotten to see it on bookshelves in the U.S. because I'm in the U.K., but I have seen it. I've seen it on U.K. shelves here. So that was really cool. And honestly, just the people who have like people who I haven't talked to in years, like, you know, people in college who weren't super close friends and you just kind of like fall out of touch or whatever, or just old neighbors and stuff like that is just the number of people who have reached out and been supportive and sent photos of the books or, you know, photos of it in a, in the store and stuff has just been like so heartwarming and just really, really, um, I don't know, just like nice. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm seeing like that, that support. I feel like it, the, um, the advanced reader copies came out like right around like Christmas time, I think. So I was like, oh, I've been seeing this book for so long. But I, for the first time, someone, oh, I can't remember what country she was in. But when I, I posted that I was reading it and someone sent me their copy and it had a, like the title was a little different because of the translation and the cover was so vastly different. I was like, whoa, like <laughs> I don't judge books by their cover, but it's crazy to see it. Um, so do you have like a favorite like translation title or like a cover that is different from the US or UK ones? 
Um, you know, the foreign editions are still, I've, I've actually only seen one cover that I think the Dutch cover is the only one that I've seen. I'm trying to think now, but yeah, most of the, most of the title translations are, you know, whatever the, in the UK, it's called the recovery of rose gold. And so most of the titles from what I understand will be the recovery in whatever the foreign language is, and then rose gold just in English, since that's the name. Um, but I think it's interesting even just comparing the US and UK covers because they're so different. The, yeah. the UK one is very clinical, has this like medical feel and the scissors and the hair is like very creepy. And the US is creepy too, but in a totally different way. It's sort of, if you just glanced at it, it looks very pretty and it has this very girlish look to it. But then if you look at it for a few seconds, there's like, you know, something very um, alarming going on. And yeah, you know, I'm not really a pink person, but I have to say, like, when I saw it, I was like, I realized I had, like, actually secretly been hoping that one of the covers would be pink, because I just think oh. it fits so well for these two characters. Yeah, I mean, Rose Gold has this sort of, like, she has to, like, discover her femininity, like, really later on in her life. Um, and so I think it's kind of, I love how it reflects the, like, the girlishness that she's trying to rediscover. Um, Cause I, I obviously like her hair is a very large, it's not really a character trait, but I think she's like, she's discovering how to be a young woman. Um, and yeah. her, her physical appearance, like her, her teeth are such an important um, aspect of her and how yeah. she presents herself to the world. And she's going through things like so much later, like she's going through through things that you and I probably went through at 13 or 12 or whatever, you know, she's, she's shaving her legs for the first time. She like hasn't grown, you know, any boobs or anything. It's yeah. just like, she feels like very stunted in growth and she is trying to like discover this femininity and sexuality. And it's just like not coming together for her. And it's just like another thing that you realize like this has completely been stolen from her. It's not just her childhood. Yeah, I had a um, like when she her her love of the Disney movies and all of that. Um, that like there are these moments where I knew that she was, she's kind. She's she's a little. She's a scary character with where her mind ends up taking her. Um, but you can't help like but feel for her. And the I think her her love of the Disney movies really gave me a little bit of like humanity for her um and her relationship with Anna uh just sort of I I it broke me at times because I was like oh gosh you're acting crazy and <laughs> can't like this this family is like oh no what have we got ourselves into but like the, this child latched on to her in such a an important way um yeah, I don't know. Like, these are the, the things that I was just thinking, like, you can't help but feel for these characters at the same time being like, whoa, we've got some Ted Bundy action going on. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like she's, you know, she's being a little psychotic at the same time where you're like, she doesn't know any better. Like, she's not trying to be horrible. Like, the rest of us are cringing when she does these things and biting herself places that, like, the rest of us would know, like, you're clearly not welcome. This is too far. But she doesn't know. And so you can't help feel bad for those things. Yeah. Have a lot of people asked you about, um, like, the Gypsy Rose Lee comparisons? 
Yes, a lot of people have asked because I think, you know, that's the case that is has been the most in the headlines and certainly has been adapted and stuff the most in film. And it's one case that I studied, but I also studied a number of others. I think, you know, in order to accurately portray, especially like her medical background and all the illnesses, I really needed to do my research and figure out, okay, well, what kinds of illnesses are commonly faked? And it is a lot of feeding tubes. It's a lot of seizures. Um, eye and ear and, you know, more minor complications. Um, so yeah, it's, you definitely want to get, it's weird to say you want to be accurate in choosing which illnesses to be faked, but you know, that's part of the deal. Well, especially it's like, this is a thing that this is not fictional. And I mean, it's a fictional story, but there are real, real cases of this out there. So you want, um, it's almost like bringing this to light. Like now I'm always like, oh gosh, <laughs> you gotta uh, be careful who you trust. And I think it's it's scary to think that people could um, manipulate doctors in such a way. Like I never, like you want, like I, I've um, seen the the Hulu adaptation of the, uh, the Gypsy Rose Lee story. And you're like, how, how is this possible? Like, how could a doctor be so easily fooled? But there, I mean, there are people out there who are capable of doing it. Yeah, a lot of the perpetrators have medical backgrounds themselves. So a lot of them work as nurses or nurses assistants. And so obviously it's a lot easier to sort of fake these kinds of things or induce them in your child when you actually know what you're talking about or have some sort of competency in medicine. I'll ask you one final question um, and then I'll let you go. But did, did you have any um, favorite films or like true crime podcasts or anything that you look to for research? Mm. I would say not specifically for research for this. I think, I mean, one, well, this isn't a film. It was originally a book, but I do think um, the split timelines of Gone Girl helped a lot. Mm, sorry, yeah. sorry to be the thriller writer who brings up Gone Girl. Obviously, <laughs> it's been talked to death. But true, like do, doing the two timelines there, I think studying the sort of deconstructing that um, helped a lot. I think you know, I'm trying to. Th- I don't think there were really any true crime podcasts about this, at least at the time I was doing my research. It was more, I read like a medical textbook. I read a memoir um, called Sickened by Julie Gregory, which um, she was a, uh, her mom had Munchausen by proxy and she was the victim of her mom's abuses. So that was my, more of my primary research into the illness itself. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, Stephanie. Um, Darling Rose Gold is out now. It came out Tuesday, March 17th. And uh, we really hope that you'll pick it up and enjoy it. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is great. That was great. It was so interesting to hear. I always love to hear about authors' thought processes behind how they get from, you know, a concept or an idea or something that interests them all the way to a finished product. And I love that she – this was her – you know, something that she worked on when getting her MFA from Emerson, which is like right down the street from – where I grew up, okay, not right on the street, but <laughs> in the general vicinity <laughs> in of the where same I grew state. up. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun to talk to her. It was the first time I ever got to do like an interview like that. Um, and it always strikes me um, how intelligent 
authors are, which I, it's never something I would, I doubt, but the work that goes into writing, I think a lot of people are like, oh, like, I could never write a book. It's so, there's just, I'm not creative enough. Mm-hmm. And I think with um, a lot of creative professions, like, we forget that it's 10% creativity and 90% hard work. And discipline. Um, like, you have to be very definitely. disciplined, too. And open, I feel like, to um, suggestions and, which like, um, Stephanie talked about you know, working with her mentor and, and that process, like you have to be, you have to yield to others advice, um, that, you know, know what they're talking about in this industry. And I feel like that that's hard to do when you have this idea in your head and you're trying to figure out how can I make this a novel that's going to be enjoyable for everybody and not so just personal to me. Um, definitely. And I love that this had dual perspectives that's always something that I look forward to, especially in a thriller. I find that the most fascinating, or I guess in this case, more of like a psychological thriller. I love that aspect to it. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see um, her work. Her work is very cerebral, so I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see what she uh, where she goes next. And I was really excited that she is already working on something. Um, and I, I couldn't help but think about. Uh, when we were we had our email interview with Bianca Murray, um, how she said like you know we have like your debut novel, you have such time to devote to it, mm-hmm. and then like when you have like your your next piece, there's a little more pressure and like writing with deadlines and just how different it is like writing with a deadline. So it will definitely be interesting to see what happens with her her continued work. I know. I'm excited to check it out. And thank you so much again to Random House team and Berkeley Publishing, as well as Stephanie for your time and generosity in speaking with Phoebe and being on Read It or List It. Darling Rose Gold is on sale now. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Original music by Jake Thorne. Original artwork by Lindsay Huckabee. You can find Lindsay on Instagram at lindsaydrawsitagain or on Etsy at lindsaydrawsco. Podcast produced and edited by me, Ashley Chandler, and Phoebe Wright. You can find us on Instagram at readitorlistedpod. All rights reserved, 2020.